It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Troy Halliburton, and joining me on the other line, She's well on her way to becoming the Canadian Doris Burke, the play-by-play announcer for the Washington Mystics, Miss Megan McPeak. How are you doing today, Megan? I'm doing good today, Troy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Just, you know, kind of sitting back and uh, relaxing in anticipation, waiting for uh, to find out who the Mystics are going to play in their uh, Tuesday uh, semi- conference semifinal matchup. How are you feeling? You, I know you're relieved to finally have a little bit of time off, even though I know the grind uh, never stops. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd be relaxed or relieved. <laughs> um, I think because I have with with playoffs coming in and, and starting, ESPN having the rights, um, all the local um, and team broadcasts, we kind of go on to a hiatus. So I don't, and I actually think that I'm more like on edge just waiting because I have, like, I don't have something to look forward to with regards to like calling a game um, and kind of just like waiting and anticipating like, who are we going to play? Who's going to be the matchup? What's going to be the series? Like, um, so I don't know. I don't know if I'm relaxed. I think I'm, I think I'm just like, I'm just ready for it to happen. Like for, for me, this is probably like the worst scenario is having like nine days to wait. Um, I'm very impatient, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I've been enjoying the first round matchups and I'll look forward to Sunday's games as well too. And then finally we'll know who the, who, who will be the matchup for the sun and the mystics. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, even, even though you might not be relaxed, you, you have some uh, very well-deserved time off after a, a fantastic uh, first season of you calling uh, the Mystics games. And I, I really just wanted to get into, you know, how, how does one even get into uh, play-by-play announcing? How, how, like, literally walk, walk us through the process as to, as to how you landed in, in such a unique occupation. Well, for me, I grew up playing, um, and like most athletes, no matter what sport you're playing in, your your goal is to go pro uh, post-college, and I was no different. Um, so I was actually, you know, like when I was in college, I was trying to establish my post-playing career career, <laughs> um, <laughs> and like most athletes, I thought about broadcasting um, and thought, okay, like that'll be a good transition. 
um, into doing what I want to do post playing and I'll still be able to be around the game and stuff like that. Um, I don't have the, the mindset to be a coach um, because I like, I, I respect coaches too much. Like, I don't know how you can just relinquish all the control for the game when you want to control everything um, and you have no control because you can only prepare them for so much. And then you kind of have to just let them go and, and try and take what you prepared them for and, and execute. Um, so I couldn't do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and unfortunately for me, injuries kind of stopped me from having that post college playing career um, and prevented it. And I had to then take my, um, career that I was preparing myself for post playing career, and I had to make that my new goal um, and my new career because playing pro wasn't an option for me, unfortunately. Um, but you know, looking back on that, I'm I'm not disappointed with the way things turned out, and I kind of got into it um, with calling games when I was in college, and I would actually play games because unlike this is the interesting thing about. Can it, going to Canadian college university versus American um, in the States, we, you typically don't have double headers where the men's and women's team will play back to back. But in Canada, you do have that. So the women will play first and then the men will play right after. So you have that double header, but instead of it being, you know, two local teams um, playing, you know, two out of town teams, both on the women's side, it's the men's and women's playing another uh, school. So, I would play, and then um, my head coach, shout out to Denise Perry, she'd keep our post-game conversations very quick because I only had like 15, 20 minutes to decompress, shower, change, and then throw on what little makeup I was wearing at the time and then go and call the men's game um, as an analyst. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, like, got into it and – just focusing on being an analyst after playing and and then just graduating college and a friend of mine that I was working with, um, she got an email from her alumni and they were looking for people to do the men's and women's basketball games for that school, which was McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. And she sent it to me. I applied not thinking anything of it because you don't know, you know, I didn't go to that school. So are they going to even, you know, show any interest in me or give me an opportunity? And, and lucky enough, um, the station director there, Jamie Tanant, he gave me a chance. And six months after graduation, I was actually putting what I graduated into use right away. And, you know, I, I haven't looked back since then. Yeah, I mean, in a day and age where uh, everyone seems to be going to school and getting jobs outside of whatever they went to school to study, for you to, you know, kind of, for you to kind of just walk right into uh, what what you went to school to to study and specialize in, I mean that that that's really just a, a blessing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I was blessed and thankful. Just the timing for me worked out um, in my favor, and you know, looking back on it, it's it's an opportunity that if. I didn't suffer an injury at the end of my college career and finished on time and didn't have to repeat a semester because of that injury, would I have gotten that opportunity? Um, Or if I had gone to school, you know, if I had been born a year earlier or a year later, um, which meant graduating a year earlier or a year later, 
would I be in the position I am today um, and have gotten the opportunity that I got? And then, you know, just with everything that happened with me being um, put into the play-by-play role um, and what happened there as, you know, initially being an analyst and seeing my career as doing that and then making the the shift over a seat to doing play-by-play, would I have, you know, been doing that? And would that have happened? So um, timing timing worked in mysterious ways when it when it comes to my career. Yeah. Are, are you sure you weren't a, a philosophy major? Because you just got really <laughs> existential on me, and I, 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 I kind of love it how, how you're just, just, just breaking down how uh, you're fulfilling your, your purpose right now. <laughs> I mean, maybe in, an, in another lifetime I was a philosophy major. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I'm, I'm very much the – the type that like as cheesy and cliche as it is like everything does happen for a reason good or bad in our lives um and you know you you either learn from it or you you don't and and I've learned from it and learned how to good or bad take advantage of the situation and the lesson and put it to use and you know that was I don't want to age myself here and give an idea to people who know or don't know how old I am, but, you know, I graduated college in 2009 and I'm, I'm 10 years into this broadcasting industry um, at different facets and different levels of the broadcasting, broadcasting industry. And, you know, I've got 70 years to go. Like a childhood dream of yours or, or was it something that, you know, you kind of, you kind of just, fell into because of your love of the game of basketball? Um, For me, my childhood dream was like any other athlete. I wanted to play pro. Um, But unfortunately, injuries uh, made the decision for me. So when I was in school broadcasting and and taking radio, that was me just preparing for life after playing. Um, And just because of injuries, uh, they kind of, like I said, they dictated what I was actually going to do. And my life after basketball happened sooner than I would have preferred. Um, and because of that, I got into it right away um, and was lucky enough that, like I said, upon graduation, like six months later, I was I was in a role doing something that I wanted to do. Um, and when I was in school, I, I truthfully wanted to be the, you know, I wanted to be the Canadian Doris Burke. Um, and, <laughs> you know do something that not a lot of women did um, and not a lot of women still do. Um, And then I decided, you know, once I started doing play-by-play at Mac, um, I loved it so much because I liked being able to tell the story of the game um, and and tell it for, you know, viewers or listeners that weren't there. Um, And I fell in love with that and I, I never looked back and, you know, now I'm in an even, tighter market that doesn't have women in it. When you look at play-by-play um, in men's sports specifically, there's numerous women that do it on the women's side. Um, when you think about, you know, women's sports, it seems quote-unquote normal. Um, but I want to be part of that group that makes it quote-unquote normal in men's sports as well. So I'm part of a select a select fraternity <laughs> um, and sorority <laughs> Uh, of people that do play-by-play, but I'm even part of a fewer select sorority of women that do men's sports as well. 
Yeah, no, you're you're definitely a, a trailblazer as far as uh, uh, being a woman, play by play announcer who calls uh, men's sports. And and when you say the uh, Canadian Doris Burke, I mean that that that's obviously gold. <laughs> Um, I know that before you came uh, to before you joined Monumental Sports, you were uh, with you were calling games with the Raptors 905. And I know I just want to get a, a, a little bit of sense of your journey from even before that because I know that a lot of people on the internet just think, oh, you know, people pop up and they just get amazing jobs out of nowhere. But I'm sure that you had to put in your dues and 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 call a, a bunch of games beforehand that that. You know, maybe high school games or or hockey in Canada. Tell me, what what, what was the wildest game that you called before you you got to this point? Um, well, I'll put it out there. I am the least Canadian Canadian that you will ever meet. Um, <laughs> I have never called a hockey game in my life, uh, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did grow up though in a family with uh, now three cousins that have played hockey. Um, and now a fourth one is, has begin, begun playing hockey. He's uh, 10. So uh, hockey is in the family. <laughs> it just was not in my calling. Um, but, no, I've, I've also, like, even in college when I was at Humber, um, I called volleyball games, which is kind of crazy because when you think about volleyball, it's so quick-paced um, and up-tempo. But, you know, there aren't too many different things that you can call with volleyball because – you know, it's bumps that spike. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yep. So there's not too, too much change with that. Um, but, you know, it's I've been, I've been blessed and fortunate that uh, things worked timing-wise in my favor. Um, so when I was at MAC, I did that for four years, all was volunteer and unpaid. Um, and then after that, I got my first paying gig uh, in the National Basketball League of Canada with the Brampton A's, which then turned into the Orangeville A's. I did that for, um, I believe it was three years. And then that's when the opportunity with the 905 happened. Um, and I was with them for three years. And then now here I am in, in D.C. Uh, with Monumental Basketball and the Monumental Sports Network. So um, I think for me, you know, I always tell young broadcasters and journalists, even though I'm not technically considered a journalist because I'm not a writer, um, you have to you have to put in your dues, but it's not always in the same sense um, that we're used to, to hearing. Um, you can put your dues in in many different ways. So for me, I look back at my journey, and my dues were my four years at McMaster. Um, it's not easy to do what you love and not get paid for it, but when you love what you're doing, it's, it makes it easier because you know you're doing something that you love. So I didn't really think negatively about not getting paid for my time at Max because I was getting such valuable experience. Like there's not many people that can graduate um, from a program in college or university and within six months literally be doing the job that they want to do for the rest of their life as a career. So I was very fortunate that I got that opportunity and I value it and will value it for the rest of my life because it was four seasons on radio. Um, and if anybody's ever done radio, it is, in my opinion, if you can do radio, you can do any type of broadcasting, whether it's radio, TV, podcasting, because trying to do a radio show or fill in a game when you have a clock delay and you have to fill for 45 minutes of real time on radio, you don't have the luxury of highlights and visuals 
you have to know what you're talking about. So I think if you, if, if you want to get into broadcasting in any sense, you need to get experience in radio because it will you'll value that experience when it comes to doing something else uh, in the industry. And I, I value my four years at Mac and will always value it for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I feel like that's really solid advice that you're that you're giving to uh, anybody, uh, man or woman out there uh, who's looking into to get into a, a, a play-by-play announcing. And I think that when you talk about uh, just really kind of having to know what you're talking about on the fly, I feel like that is a part of the reason why you're such a great play-by-play announcer is because you really know the game. So I, I, I feel like I've had the opportunity to, you know, watch you uh, call Capital City Go-Go games and call Mystics games. And just your knowledge of the X's and O's of basketball and, and what's going on on the court and being able to kind of relay that message is, is, is very much, like, on par. And, like, when you say the Canadian doors burst, like, you're, you're walking in that in those shoes right now. So I, I appreciate as, that. But uh, I, I do have to say, though, Troy, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the credit, though, also goes to um, Coach Stackhouse when I was with the 905 for allowing me to sit in on practices and then as well to um, coach Christian with the, with the go-go and, and pop and Sabonsi, who's the general manager and also coach Mike Tebow um, with the Mystics, who's GM and, and head coach of the Mystics. They allow me to sit in on practices, which allows me to know and, and understand what each team is doing. But um, I also think in a, in a way I'm fortunate because I played the game, I have a different way of calling games than most, play-by-play voices that we're used to who didn't necessarily play the game and might have only grown up watching the game or being around the game. So um, I think my playing experience allows me to see the game in a different light as well, too. But a lot of credit goes to, like I said, Jerry Stackhouse, Jarrell Christian, Mike Tebow, and Pop Mensabonsu for allowing me to sit in on practices. Yeah, I mean, that, that's amazing that, you know, that, that, that you have uh, these coaches that are, are opening and willing to, you know, sit down. I'm sure that it goes beyond just the practices. I'm sure that you uh, have had uh, plenty of conversations with all three of those coaches, being able to pick their brains and learn as much as you can. Um, I guess uh, one of the biggest things uh, when we talk about with, with Coach Tebow, I, I see that, you know, you, you all have a good relationship. Uh, I know that, you know, you and, and Christy Winter Scott, you're, uh, you're, 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 uh, you're the, the color analyst for the, for the broadcast, and uh, Mr. Dan Nolan. You know, you, you guys do such a fantastic job, and I know that you guys are really uh, in, in tapped and in tuned with the team with what's going on. And as somebody who is uh, so tapped in with what's going on with the team, uh, let's talk about um, the, the, the Mystics. Well, first let's talk about the WNBA playoffs and uh, what, what has taken place so far. So we've already had uh, two first-round matchups uh, between the Sky and the Mercury and the Storm and the Lynx. So the Sky defeated the Mercury, and they will be going on to face the Las Vegas Aces, and the Storm defeated the Lynx, and they'll be going on uh, to face the Sparks. And so what, what, what do you think about uh, – what did you think about the first two opening round games? And then what, what, what do you think about the conference uh, semifinal games or – the uh, the next round games and, and will lead into the the semifinal. Um, well, when you look at the the first round matchup, you know Chicago and Phoenix. I think if Brittany Griner doesn't go down, I still believe that outcome of the game is the same. But I think how they get to that outcome uh, with Chicago winning is different. 
Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that as of right now, it doesn't look very serious for Brittany Griner for the injury. Um, she had her exit interview yesterday and said that she was feeling okay. But um, as we all heard and know, she wants to finish her career. Um, if she's going to return to the WNBA, she's going to return to the Mercury and no other organization. Um, so I'm glad just to hear the news that she's, she's feeling better. Um, but I still think, like I said, that outcome is the same. I still think Chicago wins that series just because they, they had some wicked momentum uh, going into the playoffs. Yes, we know the outcome of the final game of the regular season versus um, the Mystics at ESA and, and them losing, but they still had momentum to finish out that season. You look at what Coach James Wade did um, with that squad being named Coach of the Year. It was phenomenal, and I think he was deserving of Coach of the Year. I think it was you know, a two-coach race. Um, for Coach of the Year between him and Mike Tebow. Um, but you have to give a lot of credit to uh, to Chicago and what they did. But then you look at the other matchup um, with Seattle and, and Minnesota. I thought, I thought for sure that game was going to look much different than what we saw. I thought it was going to go down to the wire. Um, and I know it was, you know, only a, a what, a 12-point win, 10-point win um, for Seattle. But I thought it was going to be – you know, a, a bang it out, drag it out type of game, um, come down to the you know final two possessions. But what Seattle did to completely take Sylvia Fowles out of that game and make her essentially like non-existent, it blew my mind. Um, and Seattle's another team that's playing with some great momentum right now. Natasha Howard, obviously uh, becoming Defensive Player of the Year, she's had a really great season. Um, but when you look at what Seattle was able to do with Natasha Howard not being hugely impactful in that game. Um, and they were still able to, you know, really take control of the game and do well. Jordan Canada had a really solid game and talk about Jewel Lloyd and what she's been able to do. Um, I'm really looking forward to that matchup uh, with L.A. And then, you know, Chicago and and Las Vegas. They're, it's two completely different types of basketball when you look at, you know, Chicago likes to play the free-flowing type of game, um, get up and down. They really try to take advantage of teams in transition. Uh, but then you look inside when, you know, you have uh, a Stu Du, uh, Stephanie Dolson, and Cheyenne Parker, um, who have been fantastic in the absence of Jontel Lavender when she went down with that injury. So they can play inside out um, when you look at, you know, an Allie Quigley and, and a Courtney Vandersloot and how lethal they can be from the outside. And a Diamond to Shield, she had a fabulous game one, and I think she's got her footing um, and will be really, really scary in these playoffs if she can keep playing that way. Um, and then you look at Bill Ambeer and the style that he plays with, you know, the prototypical inside-outside, you know, banging inside, trying to take advantage of Liz Cambage and the size that she has. But also they go uh, a, a two-big game high-low with her and Asia Wilson and, and how um, Asia can play, you know, with the versatility that she brings. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to these two games on Sunday and, and how fun they're going to be. And then, you know, whoever can, can survive um, and move on, they've got – two lethal teams in Connecticut and, and Washington waiting for them in the wait. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you did a, uh, an excellent job of, of breaking down not only, you know, tendencies of each team and how they like to play. And, you know, that I, I feel as though the, uh, the, the, the Mystics, uh, you know, I, I, I am amazed at all the things they were able to do during the season and, you know, their, their point differential being one of the best in, in the history of the WNBA and so, if 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 you had to uh, if you had to pick a, a team that would be the best possible matchup for them in the sec in, in the uh, conference semifinal, 
who who do you think would be the best fit for them to play? Ooh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In in all seriousness, I think no matter who they match up against, because, you know, Seattle wins against L.A., then seeing Seattle, it's going to be tough. Um, that's, you know, a rematch of last year's WNBA finals. Then you, exactly. you have, you know, you have Natasha Howard and how lethal she can be. Jordan Canada, as I just mentioned, and Jewel Lloyd and, and, you know, how, how dominant they were in their first round matchup and how solid they played. Um, but you also have to question, you know, no Sue Bird and no Brianna Stewart. Like, how does that affect them in a five game series? It's different when you have a single elimination one off game because it's win or go home. Um, you know, survive and move on. But then you have a team that's been waiting for nearly two weeks, um, is trying to rest players like a Chrissy Tolliver to try and get her as much time as possible to see um, if she'll be ready for game one or two. I don't know at this point. Um, still waiting to, to find out. She hasn't uh, done a practice fully or anything like that. So they're still trying to work her way into um, practicing and preparing for game one. Um, but then, you know, you also look at matchups and if I had to pick, I think the best team that you'd want to see out of potentially Vegas, Chicago, or Seattle, in my opinion, it would be Chicago. Um, and just, you know, mind you, all three teams have been teams that the Mystics have been able to, um, outscore, outlast and outwit in a game, but they're also have gotten the best of them as well, too. Um, in a game or two. So, you know, you look at that game a couple weeks ago against Chicago in Chicago. They they stole one from the Mystics. Um, Ta- Natasha Cloud said that at halftime of the game against Chicago to close out the season, they got one away from them and they owe them one. Um, now they, if that's the matchup, they now owe them three um, when you think about a five-game series. And then you have Seattle who, as I mentioned, rematch of last year's finals, but no all-stars and Bird and, and Stewart. So how does that play into a five-game series against Washington? And then you just look at Washington and the firepower that they have. Like, yes, you can try and take out Elena Deladon and make her a non-factor, but you try and make her a non-factor scoring-wise, she becomes a factor when it comes to her passing and her basketball IQ. So how much do you really how – mu- how much can you really take her away and out of the ballgame if you do that? Yeah, I mean it- – I feel like uh, Elena Deladon is, is, is to a point right now where, I mean, she's just kind of in a zone that, you know, uh, it's kind of rarefied air for, as far as professional basketball players is concerned. And so, you know, it, it, as you said, if you try to take away her scoring, you know, I mean, she, she's not a one-dimensional player. You know, she, she right. can do so much on the basketball court and she can get uh, her, her teammates involved. But um, now that we're talking about Elena Deladon, how – how was it for you to to witness every single game of the season and for her to end up being the first WNBA player to uh, have a 50-40-90 season? And for those of you who don't know at home, uh, the 50-40-90 club means that she shot uh, 50% from the field, 40% from three-point range, and 90% from uh, free throw line. I mean, she shot 97% from the free throw line, which is, I mean, that, that that's, that's just simply amazing. For, for anybody, any basketball player on any level, what what was it like for you to have uh, literally the best seat in the house to watch her have a historic uh, WNBA season? It was uh, – I'll be honest, you know, I I look back at it and I try to find 
you know, a word or two to describe what it was. And it, it honestly has left me speechless because, you know, you, you know what she can do from a scoring standpoint and, and a basketball IQ standpoint, as I said, but to now like be able to see it. And I've watched the WNBA, you know, going back to the Houston Comet um, days and to be able to witness greatness in person is insane. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, she made and the Mystics made my job and Christy's job like that much easier because it's always great and easy to call to call games when a team is winning and doing well and playing well. And then you add in the fact that the fans are like ridiculously amazing, but. To be able to witness and call games for a player that makes history, um, like that's going to be something that I'll I'll remember for the rest of my career, um, is being able to be front row and center for this, um, and potentially an MVP. In my opinion, it's not potential. She is the MVP of this league um, because if you take her off the Mystics, are they a one seed or are are they are they a, a five through eight seed? Um, in this playoff format, so you know how is that? How is she not the most valuable player? How she, what she does for her teammates, um, and and you know you look at teams that'll double and triple team her, and she makes them that much better, and how effective she is. Like how is that not the most valuable player um, in this league? Because you put her on any other team in in this league, and she's they're probably a number one seed as well too. Um, you know what I mean? So getting yep. to witness that firsthand, it's been. Uh, it's been amazing, um, and it's been it's been a blessing because um, I'm I'm not just witnessing history. I'm witnessing a historic MVP season and potentially um, a championship season from her. And you know, she could end up walking away with AP Player of the Year, League MVP, and Finals MVP, and the first WNBA player to go 50-40-90. Um, and I don't think we'll ever see another player do that in one season, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, you could almost put her in a way in a category of herself in that 50-40-90 club and make it 50-40-95. Um, <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty – if I'm not mistaken, she's the only one in the 50-40-90 club that shot above 90%, but I could be totally wrong on that. Because, like, you know, like people think, like, oh, 50-40-90, cool. Like, yeah, it's really tough to shoot above 90% from the free throw line. It is damn near impossible to shoot almost 100% from the free throw line. She went 114 for 117. She didn't just get to the line like 80 times. Mind you, the qualification is 100 free throws. Um, but like she didn't just get to the free throw line, you know, a handful of times. Like she went to the free throw line over 100 times and almost only missed three shots. Like that is that is nearly impossible, if not it is impossible to do um, and be the only one to do it. And, you know, I want to throw a caveat in there because Emma Miesemann, you know, if it if it was not for the FIBA qualifiers that she had to leave for that month um, in, uh, I believe it was like late, mid to late July into early August, if she didn't have to leave for that um, stretch of time with the Belgian national team, we would have had two players in the 50-40-90 club. Emma missed it, I think, by a couple of games um, for qualifications, but she also shot 50-40-90 this season. So, yes, she didn't get it because of the qualifying numbers, but I think that is impressive when you look at the fact that they had two players on the same team do it in a season, and if not for qualifications, um, 
you know, I you know, I still give Emma credit because that's that's like again, it is nine people have done it in the history of basketball, men or women. If you add Emma in, that's ten. Like ten in how long has the NBA and the WNBA been around? At least fifteen plus years um, for both of them. Like you know what I mean? Like it it just you think yeah. that there's going to be more people on that list, but that just shows you how how hard and how difficult it is to be that effective. Yes, I mean, to have only nine people in the history of basketball to be able to, to do that and, and for the for the Mystics to have uh, one who qualified and have another who, uh, if it weren't for, you know, like, like you said, not, not meeting the, the minimum attempt, like to have two people like that, I mean, that, that, that's historic. So I know uh, that uh, Elena Deladon is, a, she, she's, you know, she's the greatest thing since sliced bread and she's amazing. And it, it, but she's not a one-woman band. Can, can you right. tell us more about the, the the rest of the Mystics players that have you know kind of kind of chipped in and 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 led to this historic season for the team? Uh, well, I think you know it, it starts as we all know with Coach Tebow um, and and his staff and what they're able to do in preparing them um, night in and night out and practice after practice. And Elena, prior to uh, the final weekend of the regular season, she. You know, she gave praise to Coach Tebow because when you look at what he was doing as a general manager and, you know, making trades and, really, you know, players not getting re-signed and picking up players and drafting certain players, you know, they had to trust in what he was doing um, and then trust in positionless basketball as well, too. Um, so she gives a lot of credit to, to Coach Tebow, and it's well-deserved. But then, you know, you look at the head of the snake with this starting unit in um, Natasha Cloud in running the point and what she's been able to do. And, you know, you look at a, a player like that, and, yeah, she could easily try and, you know, score 15, 20, 30 points a night if she wanted to um, make that attempt. But she realizes that's not her role on this team. Um, yes, they need her to score, but that's not her primor- primary role um, as a point guard. And then you also look at the fact that, yes, she's your point guard, but she's also one of your top three defenders <laughs> um, as well, which is tough to do as a point guard when you have to turn around and guard the opposing team's best point guard as well, too. Then you look at an Ariel Atkins in her second year and what she's been able to do and the strides that she has made um, and how effective she has been in Ariel Powers, you know, coming off the bench but getting that start when Chrissy Tolliver went down with a knee injury um, and how effective she has been and how versatile she is. It is not easy for a player that is used to coming off the bench with a team and being in that role to make a, a, a quick switch that quickly, flip the switch, and be that impactful right off the, right off the bat in a starting role. Um, on the bench, you get used to seeing how the game flows and how it starts and how you can impact and what you need to do and how the refs are officiating the game and, and how the other team is playing and how, you know, the team, the player that you're going to be matched up with is playing. You have that time to evaluate that. So she's used to doing that, but she has impacted this team so strongly. And, and the energy and um, excitement that she brings, it is, it's palpable and it is a ripple effect. And then, you know, my girl Latoya Sanders, the undersized center in this league, and what she – like, you look at who she has to go up against nightly, Brittany Griner, Sylvia Fowles, Liz Cambage, Derricka Hamby, uh, Tina Charles, Natasha Howard, you know, you can just run the list of a gauntlet that she has had to deal with. Stephanie Dolson, uh, John Quill Jones, and she's doing it at six, six, two, six, three. Like she is an undersized uh, center uh, for her size, but she is 
so strong and so intelligent um, as, as a vet. And then you look at the bench mob, Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, Tiana Hawkins, Emma Miesemann, um, and just what this, like, this team, one through 12, is, like, it's, it's insane. There's no, there's no drop-off when you bring the bench in and you take the, the starting unit out. Like, yes, there's going to be games where, you know, the bench is not as strong as they need to be. But at most, on the same hand, there's going to be games where the, the starters are not as strong as they need to be um, and the bench steps up. So it's just, like, Coach T can just throw any lineup out there um, and, and he knows that, okay, if they're not going to give me what I want, I, I got five players I can throw in and, and do the same thing. Um, so it's just, it's been in, it's been so amazing to watch. Um, and like this team, like their, their thing is run it back and, and what they're able to do, um, as a unit, like they know, like everybody has each other's back and it's, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, I think that you, you touched on uh, one thing that I think is very important is the fact that, you know, this team from top to bottom is just so deep and so uh, well-balanced. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the credit has to go to uh, Mike Tebow, who, you know, put the team together. So as far as uh, talent evaluation, he's done a, a masterful job. And I think that, you know, that, that that's very important to, to, to think about, you know, his role and, you know, his development as, as, as the Mystics coach. And I think that uh, one, one of the important things I want to talk about is the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, all, everything that happened this summer with uh, monumental basketball and, you know, they had the big press conference and they have all these different people coming in, I think that it was very uh, poignant that, you know, uh, Ted Leonsis made it a point to know that, you know, Mike Tebow, he runs the Mystics and he's done a great job. So, you know, I think that, that you know, he, he deserves a lot of credit for having put together uh, you know this this fantastic team. Uh, uh, what, what what do you love so much about Mike Tebow and his coaching style, and how he's able to to you know get through to his players and bring the best out of the Mystics players? He uh, and you know um, Tommy Shepard, GM of the of the Wizards, has you know looked at Coach Tebow as a coach and a GM, and he gives him a lot of credit and looks at what he has done with the Mystics. And tries to, you know, take things what 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 Tebow has done and tries is is planning to try and see if it can work with the Wizards in in the NBA. Not necessarily everything, but just you know nuggets, pick his brain and stuff like that. Um, but I would have, you know, I would have loved to play to play with a coach like Mike Tebow. Um, he brings the best out of players. You know, he's not gonna be all roses and lollipops all the time. He's going to, he's going to call you out on, on your BS and he's, he's going to tell you what you need to hear. It may not but you, be what you want to hear, but he's going to tell you what you need to hear. And you can respect that as a player that a coach is not going to sugarcoat something for you um, because he knows that he's trying to make you not just a better player, but a better human. Um, and there aren't a lot of coaches that try and do that or care to do that. Um, and just what he what he does with like he'll he'll get on a player, but in the same breath he'll step away and come right back, let that player kind of marinate what he said, and come back to them and and have an, a conversation about what was said, um, and go from there. So he he can he can get on you, but at the same time he's 
he's going to support you no matter what. And, and the fact that, you know, you look at what these players do from a social, um, a social impact standpoint in the community and, you know, Natasha, Natasha Cloud and what she's been doing um, this season and utilizing her platform, he supports them in doing it. And, and, and that's something that you don't always get from a coach and a, and a general manager um, in, in professional sports, period. So the fact that he's able to be, be friend and coach and, and boss all within the same breath is, is impressive. Um, and the players respect him. They might not always, you know, it's, it's like you look at it and you might not always like what someone has to say to you because you may not want to hear it but you respect them for telling you the truth and being honest with you. And I think that's what uh, does that. That's probably the best aspect and, and characteristic of Mike Tebow is he'll, he'll tell you what you need to hear, but it's from a respectful standpoint and you know, it's going to make you a better human and player for it. Um, and that's my favorite thing. Cause we, I mean, I have conversations too with him about the way I call games and, and he, he tells me, um, he tells me honestly, and he's not, He's not mean about it in any way possible. He just he just doesn't tell you what you want to hear. He tells you what you need to hear, and he's been supportive of me um, taking this role from day one. And and has anytime I have questions for him, his his door is always open. I can go to him after practice, uh, before a game, before he gets out on the floor and, and warms up players, and I can just ask him questions. And um, I can take that, and he'll be very direct with me, like, oh, this you know, off the record, you hear it from coaches and GMs all the time, like this is off the record, that type of thing. But I can take what he says and, and listen to what he says and and same with the players and kind of just, you know, it, it gives me more respect to them because they're willing to open up with me. And, and that's probably the, been the best thing about this season and, and why I've been so successful with the Mystics is he has had an open door policy with me and has respected the fact that I have a job to do um, and has helped me do that job. Yeah, I mean, I think that anybody in any walk of life can admire uh, uh, someone that, you know, leads in, in a way that is very respectful, but is also, you know, uh, uh, can lead to constructive criticism and, and, is, and is very direct and upfront. And I think that, you know, communication is, is key to, to everything. And, 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 it is, and it sounds as though uh, Mike Tebow is, is a very good communicator and he's able to, you know, get, get the best out of not only his players, but to to get the best out of the uh, play-by-play broadcast, so I, I think that you know that, that that that's just amazing, and I think that you know the way that you have called this season, and the way that Mike Tebow has coached this season, and the way that uh, Lena Deladon has played, and the way that the whole team has played. I mean, this this almost feels like a, a, a sort of a team of destiny in a sense, and so I mean I. I it, it's I, I don't want to jinx it, and I know you definitely don't want to jinx it because you, you know you're you're completely involved. But I mean, I think that this will be something special for uh, DC basketball if the if the Mystics are able to you know uh, actualize their goal and and come through and win this WNBA championship. I know that uh, a part of them being able to do that, it's going to take you know a, a lot of support from uh, the fans. What, what what have you thought about the Mystics playing in the new ESA Arena this year, and and the the more familiar type of atmosphere that uh, that playing in that arena has led to for the season? Ooh, it's loud, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, like in a good way. Um, no, the Mystics fans have been great. They have come out night in and night out and supported that team and um, made it a fun atmosphere. 
and a great place to go to work um, and enjoy. And the fans, that's another thing that's been great about this is the fans um, have embraced me as well with uh, with this role and, and coming in. Um, and been I've been able to, you know, meet and greet some of them and get to know some of them, which has been really, really cool. So, no, nah, man, like that, that arena, it is, I think it's, you know, when you look at it, there's the one side where it's got the overhang um, to look over. I think if they had of extended the seats up a little bit higher and then put that uh, put that thing up, it you know, put a put a little bit more bodies in the uh, in in the stands, it would have been great as well too. But I actually think like, yes, there are some WNBA teams that get great crowds at the NBA arenas, but I think for for this Mystics team. Um, and just for the league itself, I think if if more teams had the opportunity to do similar similar arena sizes like this, it would be great because then you know it's that it's the ticket in the city that you want, but you can't get. You know what I mean? Like it's like back yep. in the '90s when when you wanted to be at the United Center to watch Michael Jordan, um, and when you you know even looking at Madison Square Gardens, like the Knicks are not good and haven't been good for the last few years, but it is still the hardest ticket in town to get um, because of the, you know, the aura of MSG. So I think if, if more WNBA teams had similar sized arenas, um, you know, that, that four to 8,000 seat capacity, it would be the ticket of the summer that everybody wants, but not everybody can get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I know, uh, you know, lots of people who are already inquiring about tickets for, you know, the Mystics playoff games. And, you know, it, it, it's good to see that there's so much excitement and there's so much demand behind, uh, you know, people wanting to come out and support the team. And so I, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, this, this being their first year playing in that arena, you know, I mean, that, that, that's a real thing, like building up a real home court advantage. And so, you know, for the team not have to play games, playoff games at, at GW or at George Mason, you know, it, I think that, that that makes all of the difference in the world as far as, you know, lead, leading to, like I said, that, that real home court advantage. So, I mean, it, 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 it's an exciting time. Um, I know that I know that you you're going to be at the games at the uh, at the arena for uh, for the semifinal games. How, how excited are you to see? No matter who the uh, who the team plays, how excited for you to to just get down there in the playoff atmosphere and and, and see how this all plays out. I'm looking forward to it a lot, um, and uh, I know the the fans are going to come out, and I know they're going to pack the they're going to pack that place. But um, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm I'm I was ready for Tuesday on uh last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's completely No, I'm excited for it. <laughs> yeah, so and, and since you won't be in a work capacity, maybe uh, I, I know I know you're not gonna throw any uh, uh face paint on and you're not gonna be out there cheering hard, but I know in in, in spirit you you're gonna be there cheering just as hard as, as all of the, the, the mystics fanatics, the the, the sticks fanatics. Like it, it, it's going to be a very exciting time. So, Megan, I, I want to thank you for coming on and and just really just explaining um, everything to know about the WNBA uh, playoff matchups. I mean, you you literally broke that down like 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 this was you know uh, uh, the ESPN's jump right now. Like you you really broke it down as far as the X's and O's standpoint and 
and letting people know the different matchups to look forward to and the playing styles. That I mean, that that that's just it. You you really displayed your your talent on this podcast, and and for people who don't get a chance to you know watch all of the uh, Mystics games that, on, on uh, you know NBC Sports Washington or, or Monumental Sports on the app, like that that, that you you guys are missing out on you know a great basketball mind. And so I, I just want to thank you for, you know, coming to D.C. and, and, and just kind of doing your thing and, and kind of raising the level for, uh, you know, what, what, what fans can expect from uh, monumental basketball. You know, I, I remember uh, my, my guy, uh, Karenson Simmons, he, he, he likes to take uh, credit for, for uh, leading and, and, and bringing uh, you down here. He, he he says that he's the one that found you and took you to Zach Leonsis. I don't I don't know how true that is, but but, but <laughs> my guy my my, my guy Carrington has been has been gassing you up from the beginning. And the thing is, I think that you know he he did not he did not downplay it at all. Like you you are a special talent. So I I you know I I am am very impressed by your knowledge of the game and how you have kind of. You know, uplifted and and able to inform the fans. I appreciate that, and I'll give Carrington like ninety eight percent credit. Ninety eight percent. I mean, <laughs> that's what's like. he 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 listens to the pod, so he he's gonna like to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you having right me on. Yeah. No, I'll give you a chance right now to uh, plug plug yourself and where the people can find you on social media. Uh, also, if, if you do uh, find Megan, make sure you talk to her nice because she doesn't play those games. So uh, let, let, let the people know where, where they can find you and interact with you. Um, so it's just my name, at Megan McPeak, if you're on Twitter. Um, I do have an H in my name, so spell it correctly. Um, and then if, if you're on Instagram, same thing, but just put a period between my first and last name. All right, that's perfect. And and again, I, I just want to let all the fans out there know: go out there and support Megan, and 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 listen to her stuff. You can you'll be able to find her uh, doing the play-by-play for the Capital City GoGo, uh, with, with with their season uh, getting ready to begin uh, right around the corner. So yeah, yeah, you get a little bit of a break, but you know it, it's right back to the grind, as, as as you know. Yes, yes, I'm excited for it. Yeah. All right. Thank you again for coming on, Megan. Thank you. I appreciate it, Troy. Thanks for having me. Yep. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.